0: So I used to work, uh, I've mentioned this before, a couple of times, um, a couple of assignments ago before I was in Long Beach. I was at St. Anthony's High School, I was the chaplain. I was there for six years, uh, about 20 20 years ago, 22 years ago. And I was part, as chaplain, I was part of the, uh, like the campus ministry team, which consisted of uh, myself. uh, There was a Franciscan brother who was, he was actually the uh, the director of campus ministry, and it was a religious sister, a nun. So the three of us were kind of responsible for the the faith piece of the school. Every spring, we had this task, this job we had to do that none none of us liked doing. We kind of dreaded it. We had to select new Eucharistic ministers from among the junior class. So basically, uh, juniors who were getting ready to become seniors at the end of their junior year, they would apply to become a Eucharistic minister. And we had to kind of go through this process of figuring out who was gonna get it and who wasn't. And it was tough, it was a tough process, very practically because there were always way more kids applying than we needed. So we had this pile of applications and, you know, maybe 75 kids applied and we only needed like 25. So like, what do you do? You can't have 75 Eucharistic ministers. They'd never, they'd never serve. So it was very tough. Like inevitably, some kids didn't get it. Like good kids, sometimes great kids. Think about it. You're 16 or 17 and you're saying, I'd like to be a Eucharistic minister. I mean, how... How impressive is that? And inevitably, like I said, we'd have to sometimes tell a kid, yeah, we, sorry, we just didn't have a spot for you. And a couple of times over the years, we made mistakes. There were kids that we did select that we realized after the fact we shouldn't have. The kid was just looking to get something on his uh, resume for you know colleges, extracurriculars, that kind of stuff. Usually we could figure that out, but once in a while, like I said, the kid was kind of slick, and we made a mistake. So it was just tough. Um, They had to fill out, like I said, this application. They had to write a little essay, like why why do you want to do this? A couple of questions about faith. They had to describe their church involvement. It's like what do you do in your parish? Yeah, you you know altar server. You were involved in the youth group, uh, you know, service stuff. I mean, you would have thought we had like a hundred Mother Teresas when we got it, Like when we looked, when we got these applications, it was like, whoa! Like just these kids that were like so involved, all this stuff. But it was an application. I mean, that's what you do with an application, right? You you put your best foot forward. It's like a job interview. It's like a resume. You're not going to list your failures on a resume. You put on the stuff that you've done well. So it was tough. We sat at this table. We had all the applications. and They all were kind of identical most of the time. But I remember this one that really stood out. So much so that I I think it was the, the sister. She was the one who read it and then she gave it to us There's was like, check this out, and we all read it. I made a copy of it. That's how impressed I was with it. This kid talked about his grandmother. His grandmother lived with him growing up and uh, he talked about her faith and then her death. She died of cancer maybe a year before. And she died at home, so he was very much there in her final months. And he talked about the parish priest, the pastor who would come and bring communion to his grandmother. And then uh, other Eucharistic ministers who would come as well. So every week somebody was there with communion. And he just described about like what it meant to his grandmother. How like you'd see, like this whole change would come over her once she received. She just kind of calmed down and seem relieved and kind of like this peace. She just had awesome faith. She talked, he talked about the reverence, of like these Eucharistic ministers would come and just how, how reverent they were, like, because they knew what they were doing, how serious this was. They were bringing Jesus to this dying woman. Anyway, this kid described that and he said he just, he'd love to do that. The thought of bringing Jesus to people, especially people who were struggling. So it was really thoughtful. But then he did even more. He said more, and this caught our attention, continued to kind of catch our attention. This is part of what he said. As a senior, I recognize the importance of leadership and good example. I have two younger brothers and a sister. As the oldest, I realized the importance of setting good example to younger kids. I also know that I've failed at times to set that good example to my siblings, especially my brothers. I recently got caught lying to my parents. It wasn't a really big deal, but it wasn't too small either. My brothers found out, and that wasn't good. And I realized that in some ways, an older sibling is like a teacher or a coach. And I didn't teach them well. I taught them that it was okay to lie to mom and dad when it's not. I set a bad example for them, and I'm sorry for that. I know I need to take that role more seriously. As a Eucharistic minister, I'll work hard to, I'll work to set good examples, especially to the younger kids in the school. And then he talked about his religion class. He mentioned his teacher, his junior year. And he said how he was, they were being taught about the seven deadly sins, these sins that really affect all of us. So he says this, earlier this year in religion, we were told about the seven deadly sins, pride and greed, envy and lust. They're the ones that I struggle with most. Learning about sin has also helped me to appreciate the sacrament of reconciliation and God's forgiveness. In all honesty, I don't think I'll ever conquer those sins completely. But I know that I can't, that I can't give up the fight. And I know Jesus helps us in that fight. You know, on this desk, we've had three piles we had of applications. The yes... The no and the maybe. Some kids totally were going to, no question, were going to get it. Some definitely not. And then a few, like, we had to see. Well, man, when we read this, kids, it was like, boom. It went right to the yes pile. You know, the applications, like I said, like, they was almost like a setup. We were kind of asking them questions like, tell us why you deserve this. Tell us why you're so important. We didn't actually say that, but kind of did. Tell us about all the good that you've done. Tell us why you're worthy, why you're worthy to be a Eucharistic minister. This kid talked about the opposite of that, kind of his unworthiness. Listen to this, he said, I know I'm not worthy to be a Eucharistic minister, We all say that at Mass, right before we receive communion. And then he he quoted the line at Mass. He said, Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the word, and I shall be healed. This was like 20 years ago when the, the words were a little different, but it's the same point. So he says, so I guess that means none of us is really worthy. That makes me feel better. Even though I'm not worthy to give Jesus to people, I would be honored if I was given the opportunity. Well, he got the opportunity. He just stood out. He's kind of stood out because of his willingness to express his unworthiness, like his honesty, his humility. It's this parable. It's like a completely another take on this same story. You got these two guys and they both go into church. They both go into the temple. They're both praying. But they couldn't be more opposite. One of them is sort of this pompous jerk, this Pharisee who's just so full of himself. His prayer is ridiculous. His prayer is like a resume. His prayer is like an application. He, God, look how awesome I am. Look at all the great stuff I do and, and, then, and the bad stuff that I don't do. I fast, I'm generous, I'm honest, I'm grateful. I mean, I'm, I'm faithful. And then he points to this other guy, this tax collector, and he's like, yeah, look at that slob. I'm way better than he is. And then Jesus talks about the tax collector, the The sinner. And then what he says, which is almost nothing, he goes, his prayer is, I'm sorry. Show me mercy. And he wins. In Jesus' world, Jesus was the one who, who wrote the story. He's like, the guy who said, I'm sorry, the guy who said, yeah, I'm a sinner, and just give me another shot, that's the guy that Jesus holds up as the winner you know, when I, when I was in high school, I remember taking, uh, well, I took this English class. I think it was my sophomore year. It was uh, American literature, which I think then was sophomore year. I, doesn't really matter, but I, uh, I remember this uh, short story that we all had to read. It was called uh, The Bear. It was written by William Faulkner. Full disclosure, I I probably never really did read it. Um, I was kind of like the king of cliff notes. I had a a disgraceful pile of cliff notes that would be these cheesy summaries. You didn't have to really read it. I would always hoped there was a movie version of the the book out there so I could watch the movie instead of... I was just stupid. I shouldn't have done that. But I remember this short story. And even that, I don't know if I really read all of it but I remember, I remember my teacher talking about it because he loved it. I remember his passion, really, for kind of literature in general. But this story, I remember, and then, you know, I, I, I Googled it to kind of remember more of it. It's been so many years. It's called The Bear, and it's about this kid, this 10-year-old kid in Mississippi, like in the 1860s or 1870s. The kid's name is Isaac, or Ike, they call him. It's kind of like a coming-of-age story. He's, a, uh, he's been invited for the first time to go on this hunting trip with all the men in the village. Before this, he was like a little kid, and only the adults went, and he wasn't allowed to go. Now they're letting him go, so it's a big deal. They go hunting for deer and for quail. But it's not, out of, it's not about the deer and it's not about the quail. It's about this bear, this sort of legendary, mythical bear that lives in the woods. And it's not a myth. It's not a legend. It's true. This bear has uh, terrorized this village for years. A few people have seen it. They've even taken shots at it. It's been shot, but it's survived Nobody's been able to get it. Periodically it comes in and does damage to the village and to the people. And it goes back into the woods. So it's, everybody wants to get a piece of this bear. This boy has heard about it since he was even younger than he is in the story. He's kind of like, he's obsessed with it. He wants to see the bear, but he's also scared to death of the bear. So he goes out into the woods a couple of times, hunting, and a couple of times he, uh, he gets close to it. He never sees it, but everything in the woods changes. The hunting dogs that are always barking and making noise, they shut up, and they disappear. And the birds that are making noises in the trees, same thing, they shut up. And the, the forest becomes totally quiet, and the kid knows the bear is near. In fact, the kid can tell, the bear can see. He can't see the bear, but he he can tell the bear is watching him. So he's terrified, but he kind of wants to still see it. This happens a couple of times. He sees footprints, and he knows it's this bear's footprints. There's this other character in the story. This guy was sort of like like an Indian scout who knew everything about the woods and hunting. And he's his guide. He's like this wisdom figure. And he's teaching these lessons, these sort of life lessons, really. So anyway, at one point, the kid is getting ready to go back into the woods, and the the scout says to him, "Leave your gun at home. Go into the woods without your gun." And he does. And now he's even more scared, because like, what's he going to do if he comes face to face with this bear? So he's walking deeper and deeper into the woods, and it's getting more and more quiet and then he sees a footprint bear print and this one is different from the previous ones the other ones were very dry the mud was dry like the bear was there a long time ago this one is the ground is wet so he knows this bear was just here a little while ago so he's scared to death and he knows the bear is must be watching him. so out of nowhere oh and the kids so he left the gun at home but he brought a compass and a stick with him, a stick to keep the snakes away. And he decides in this moment to drop the stick and to drop the compass. And he goes further into the woods. Now he's got nothing. He's got nothing to protect him. All the things that made him feel safe and secure, he ditched them. So now he's walking right closer to where the bear is. And in this one moment, the bear comes out and it just stares at him and it walks back into the woods but it was like the bear wasn't going to show himself until he got rid of all the junk all the stuff that makes him feel safe and secure I remember my teacher telling us about all these, like, the symbols in the story. We just read it like it was a story. And he was like, no, yeah, it's a story, but it's, it's saying so much more. And he told us, like, the bear, it's not a bear. The bear represents God. Like, we all want to see God. We all want to get closer to God. But we're also kind of afraid to. If I get really close to God, then I'm probably going to have to change who I am. So we're kind of torn, but we're kind, of, we're kind of drawn toward God, all of us. And we're the kid. We're all the kid. This kid Ike. And then the guy who was the, uh, like the Indian guide guy, that's Jesus, he said. He's the one who kind of shows us how to get to God the Father. What to do, what not to do, what to bring with you, what to ditch. I saw this bumper sticker not too long ago. I thought it was kind of cool. It said, go to the place no one else is willing to go. Go to the place no one else is willing to go. Man, that's what the kid in the story did. The kid who wrote the application at St. Anthony's, he kind of did that too. All these applications were kind of the same. All the good stuff I've done, all my accomplishments, And that wasn't a bad thing. I mean, they were kind of more or less telling the truth. But then this kid was like, no, I'm I'm not going to tell you all the good that I've done. In fact, I'm going to tell you about some of the stuff I'm ashamed of. Like I could be, I ought to be a better, a better older brother. And I shouldn't give in to temptation as much as sin as much as I I do. The kid was so honest. He was so vulnerable. He was like, I'm not going to bring all this stuff to make me look good the gun and the stick and the compass. I'm just going to go in being myself and being true and being vulnerable and honest. It's the parable. It's the tax collector. He comes in and he's like, hey, I'm sorry. Just you got to give me another chance. And the other clown next to him is just, it's all resume stuff. It's all applications. It's all look at me. I think we're all guilty of that. You know, I think sometimes too, like in in you know, today with you know social media, we have the ability to tell tons of people, lots of things about ourselves. We always kind of pump ourselves up, don't we? We always show the, the best pictures of ourselves. Hey, do you ever post a picture of yourself where you look terrible? It's like, nope, ditch that one, ditch that one, only the good ones. You know, we're always saying how great our kids are every accomplishment our kid has ever made. It's like, yeah, you know, yes, but like, do we have to document everything that the kid has ever done? He's so awesome. He's going to make the NFL. No, he's not. (laughs) I think he's going to make Harvard. There's no way he's going to make Harvard. Like, why do we have to make him so big and strong and powerful and perfect? He's probably not any of those things. He's still awesome. You still love him to death. He's still mad as more than anything. But he's not like as great as we're making him out to be. Like, are we almost setting him or her up for a little bit of a of a fall? I don't know. I mean, hey, I don't have kids. Maybe, maybe i I guess I'd be probably be doing it too if I had my own. But I don't know. I don't know how like is that really humble? Is that really humility? Or in some way, is it kind of like, yeah, hey, look at me, or look at us, or look at him or her. And I know that's not our intention with our kids, but are we, do we sort of wander into that almost? Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I mean, isn't that just so true? Hey, when you meet somebody who like humbles himself or herself, like They don't show off. In fact, they do the opposite. They're just crazy humble. You're like, oh my God, this this is so cool the way he or she is. They don't feel this need to sort of promote themselves. They're just so true. What he said there is so true. We know it when we see it. Man, that's why the Gospels are so important. Because they're just truth. We're like, yeah, that's that's the way I ought to be. I ought to be more that way. Doesn't always have to be the perfect day application. How about the honest application, or the honest resume? Man, that was like that kid from St. Anthony's, that's like 20-something years ago, and I remember it. You know what I don't remember? All the other applications, but I remember that, kids. Now you know about it. That's what humility does. The people who are humble are the ones who win. So two men went to the temple to pray. They both sought God. One man brought all his baggage, his gun and his compass and his stick. He brought his ego. The other man left it all behind. One man met God and the other didn't. So we humble ourselves and we meet God.